wow, there's wonderful things that are going on in the earth. And so just don't look with your natural eyes because there's things happening behind the scenes, as I said, that uh, God is getting his church and his people ready. And he's getting ready to harvest a whole planet of people into the kingdom. Praise God. And so this morning, I, um, I was um, preparing what I was going to prepare to share this morning. And I felt that God wanted me to talk about our victory journey into being a purpose-driven church. Now that kind of kind of sound, oh my goodness, this is class 101. And yes, it is actually. Um, it's part of our class 101, our membership class, which we're going to be running, um, or membership afternoon, which we will be running uh, on the 9th of December. But I really felt in God that he wanted me to bring this vision before you and share some of our story. I can't share everything with you, but I'm going to share some of the story with us this morning, just so that we can appreciate what God has done and what God is doing and what God is going to do. Uh, this time, 30 years ago, Stephen and I were praying about launching a church 30 years ago. And so you were a part of our prayer. And, uh, and so this time is actually very significant for us. We launched our church in January uh, 1989, which is 30 years ago. And um, there was much prayer that went on before that time. And I'll get into that in just a moment. Because, but before I um, get into our testimony, I want to just lay a foundation of what is a church. And so this is a significant time for us and significant in the, in the timing of God and even significant that that building has gone down and even this week that the car park at Asheville has been laid. God is very particular about when things happen and timings. He is a God of time. He is outside of time, but then he actually has put a planet and he's placed this planet within time periods. And when times are up and there's a new period ready to start, God is right there. And I believe prophetically that we are in a shifting of time. It's no mistake that this church has now been here 30 years in January next year. Jesus started his earthly ministry when he was 30 years old. 30 years, they were at 20 years, Israel was able to go into an army and the boys were able to go into the army. At 30 years, they qualified to go into the priesthood. And so a 30-year period is a period of training and a period of preparing and a, prepare, a period of getting ready for what God has. God has also years of 40 years, generations, and so he's very much strategic when he's planning things. And as a young couple of, at 30 years old, we didn't realize some of the things that we would need to do were going to take so long. But in the, in the overall scheme of things, in God's eyes, 30, 30 years is a split second. <laughs> in God, he talks about a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. And so um, in, in his, in, in, in the, when we're saying, God, how long? And God's saying, what are you talking about? Um, and so I want to share some of this story with you uh, this morning because I believe that it's... Um, Prophetic, and there's a prophetic time that we're in um, as a nation, as the church, the body of Christ globally, and also as our church, that we're in a, a new season and stepping into a new season. 
Um, and I'm pretty excited about that. And as, um, as um, Di shared, seeing the next generation becoming involved, not that we are actually obsolete, we will not be obsolete. <laughs> and we will not move over, we'll stay in a, definitely a coaching position. Um, and, um, but we've actually been preparing, like King David said. He said, I know that the house of the Lord is to be exceedingly glorious. She is to be famous and glorious in all the land. And I will now make preparation for that. And so 30 years ago, even more than that, 35 years ago, we knew and had a, a passion because our fathers in the faith had told us about this glorious church. And where did they get it from? They got it from their fathers. And where did they get it from? They got it from Jesus who said about the glorious church. And Paul talked about the glorious church. And all through these 2,000 year period, the church leaders have been talking about a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And we're coming to that place where we are this glorious church that the kings are going to come to the brightness of our rising. Even though gross darkness is covering the earth right now, deep darkness is covering the people. But the Lord is rising upon us and his glory is going to be seen upon us. And kings are coming in to the brightness of our rising. Your sons are coming home. Your daughters are going to be carried home. There's a marvelous time that we're in, whether we see it or not. And you see, the thing is that we don't want to miss the day of our visitation. Because you see, when Jesus turned up on the scene, Israel was waiting for the Messiah. But they didn't expect the Messiah to come as a lamb of God to be offered. And so they missed their day of visitation. And so church, I'm saying right now, we don't want to miss... We've been waiting too long and preparing too hard to miss what God is doing. We want to be right in the center of what he is doing in the earth right now. And we want to be his hands, we want to be his feet, and we want to be his mouthpiece. How about you? We are going to be. That's who we are. You haven't given up everything you've given up so far in order to fall, over, fall off, the, off your horse right now or fall out of the race. You've given too much already to let that go. And not be a part of this grand finale that God is about to present to the nations of this world. Praise God. And so I want to just look at some of this stuff and look at some of our journey this morning. And I believe it's going to touch our heart um, because uh, journeys always touch hearts. And, when I'm, and I'm going through this myself again. I'm looking and I'm thinking, my goodness me. Sometimes it's, it's good that you don't know how long the journey's going to be. And God doesn't always tell us that because as human beings, we uh, don't always want to wait so long for what we have um, believed God's promised us. But sometimes there is a waiting period like Stephen talked about two weeks ago and having perseverance as part of our faith. And so, Father, we want to thank you this morning as we just open around your story. Because you said even before the foundations of the earth that you knew us and you've set us apart. And so, Father, we are so grateful that you knew us before the foundation of the world. Before we did anything, you knew us. And you've placed us in this window of time for a special purpose. And we already say, yes, God, we're committed to what you've got for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And so Matthew 16, God says, I will build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. That is an amazing scripture where Peter comes on in and he says to Jesus that you are the Christ. He said, who do men say that I am? Some say you're Elijah and some say you're the prophets. And he says, but who do you say I am? And Peter gets this revelation in his heart. He said that you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. 
And Jesus turned around and said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And upon revelation, upon a revelation that you get from the Holy Spirit, that you get from God, a personal revelation, God says, I'm going to build my church. And the governments and the gates and the demons of hell cannot prevail against it. Now, there's a teaching right there already that when you get a revelation of what God has called you to do and who you are, there's nothing and no one that can stop you. There's no words, there's no human that can curse you and take, try to take you down. When you've got a revelation on who you are in Christ and what God's called you to do, come hell or high water, you're going to run your race and you're going to look forward to the coming of the Messiah and receive your prize. So upon this revelation... I'm going to build my church and the governments of hell will not be able to take it down or prevail against it. And so for 2,000 years, we've been God's project. We've been the project of the Messiah who is your intercessor. He's your personal lawyer that is standing before the judge of God, the throne of God right now. And he's making intercession for you day and night that you will run your race and finish your course. You won't get offended. You won't get put out of the race, but you're going to stand. Having done all to stand, you're going to stand. You've got an intercessor. You are the angels of God that are ministering spirits. Why are they here? They're sent forth to minister to you, who is an heir of salvation. And so they're right now your personal bodyguards. They're your personal supply. You speak the word and the angels are listening to the word of God that's coming out of your mouth and they will, they're activated to go and make it happen. The Bible says the angels of God are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the ears of salvation. They hearken to the voice of his word. And when they hear his word coming out of your mouth, they're activated. Wonderful. And so God has been building us for the last 2,000 years. And so what is the church? If Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail again. Well, what is the church then? This was a new word in the planet. They had never heard. This is the first time that Jesus had mentioned the word church. was in Matthew. Well, what is a church? Matthew 16, God, Jesus, what are you talking about? I'm going to build my church. And so here in Ephesians, the apostle Paul, he comes up and he says this. He says, he says now, now you are no longer strangers to God or foreigners to heaven, but you are a member of God's very own family. And you belong in God's household with every other Christian. And so here we find out what is the church? The church is a family. It's God's family on the earth. It's God's family on the earth. What is it? God says that He's made you a member of the family. You're His blood. You're his bloodline. And you belong. There's whole nations right now. There's people groups, even right now in our nation, and people don't feel like God have got a family. They don't feel like they belong because the family unit has been broken down because the first institution that God set in place when he created this planet was a family. And God said, I am a father. And the father, Adam, you're going to be a father, you're going to have a wife, and you're going to bring forth children for me. 
And so what did Satan come and do? He's come and he's aimed his attack on family, taking the father out so people don't know how to relate to a father God. And then the mother's having to, to, to be the breadwinner. And the children are in rebellion because they've got no role model of a father who is the head of the family. And if you break down the family unit, then you're going to break down a nation because a nation is only as strong as the families in that nation are strong. And so it's time for men to rise up into their positions and for women to continue to hold their position and for children to come under authority. You know, God cannot use us until we are under authority because we're in rebellion and God doesn't work with rebellion. He works with those that are under authority. And so where do we learn to come under authority when we're in our households and in our family, when, when mum and dad tells us, come here, do this, do that. That's how we learn to submit our will to the will of another. And when we learn to submit our will to the will of another, then it's easy to submit our will to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to submit our will to the police and to the teachers and to government. That is the most amazing place of liberty and freedom to be under authority. And so here we have here a definition of the church. God's very own family and I belong in the household of, household of God. And so the church is not a building. And so when you say I'm coming down to the church, no, it's the building that, that houses the church. We're the church. You're the church. And it's not a particular denomination. It's all of the believers of every color. God's into variation. That's why in variety, that's why he had 12 tribes of Israel. And so if we have 12 denominations in the globe or how many we have, that's okay. They all have a different purpose and a different reason to be here. Praise the Lord. And so this, here's another one, that the church is also a flock of God. That you're the flock of God. Look at this scripture here. It's amazing. And I, I thought I wanted to add this because I've just done a, um, I've just done a tour. Uh, tour, it sounds great. Just visited the South Island. And I was um, talking with some of the leaders and some of the churches down there who were great shepherds and great farmers and businessmen in our, in our, in our, um, in our nation. And, uh, and so I was talking to them about the flock of God and they could absolutely understand that language of the flock. And so I may refer to some of it um, later on in the morning. Uh, otherwise, maybe next week. But some of the understanding that these men have of, 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 of shepherding the flock of God. You know, in fact, I'll, I'll talk to you about George, if you're listening. George, uh, one, of our, one of our farmers, and I was staying with him. He says, you know, Vanessa, he says, sometimes he goes out there and it was lambing season. He says, sometimes the sheep just don't have a will to live. They just don't have a will to live. And I'm thinking sometimes the believers that are a flock of God, just don't have a will to live and to fight and to stand up and be who God called them to be. And so he says, he gets out there and he come, turns on my back on their side. They get up there like that and four legs up that. And, you know, they're up like this with their four legs. They can't turn themselves over. So he gets out there and flips them back over. The shepherd. Shepherd. Flips them back over again. He's, he's, he's a shepherd. He's not a butcher. You know, the shepherd leads the flock, and the flock follow. And so this is what Peter said here, the apostle Peter. He's talking to the elders, and he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, um, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, 
not domineering over those you are, um, that you're in charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, underline that, appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. You know the shepherds around the globe right now that have been with the flock for 30, 40, 50 years? They're going to receive a crown. There's a crown for shepherds. There's a lot of crowns. There's about seven different types of crowns that are going to be rewarded at the, at the reward seat of Christ. And one of those crowns is for shepherds that haven't left the flock, that have stayed with the flock. You know, a hireling, Jesus said, a hireling leave. But it's the shepherds that stay with the flock. Even when it gets tough, they won't leave the flock. And so God says that you're my flock of God, that you're the flock of God. And he's the chief shepherd. And he's placed shepherds over, over us. Why? For our good, to lead us and, uh, and to guide us. And so let's have a look at our story. My journey, I've got a whole lot of stuff here, and I was thinking, gosh, what do I leave out? So our journey was from humble beginnings, where we began until where we are now. And so Stephen and I, as I sort of said here, we started the church in 1989, in January. I think it was January the 29th, uh, 1989. And we... Um, and we've been around, as you could say, 30 years. We've been around and we've seen quite a lot happening in the body of Christ in 30 years. There's been, th you know, there's been, been emphasis, there's been things that have come and gone in the body. And uh, lots of good things that God has been adding to the church. Truth that he's been adding. You know, the healing moves of God, the charismatic moves. And then there's an incredible teaching move of the new creation realities of your authority as a believer. That God is good. There's been some magnificent truths that has been added to the church. And then there was a, there's been a powerful move of leadership that has been uh, the last 10, 15 years that God has been raising up apostolic leaders in the body of Christ and their function has been to organize and to structure and to strategize for huge, big, um, global, um, global um, harvests that are going to be coming on, like Joseph anointings, Daniel anointings, Nehemiah anointings that have been in the body of Christ. And so it's incredible to see if you just can track the revelation and the emphasis that God has brought. And so for us as young people, we've had a passion when we came out of Bible school um, to see the church run well and resourced well. And I could say probably Stephen and I came out of the hotel, um, the hotel sector, the hotel industry, and, um, and we were working in five-star hotels. And they were premium at the time, the THC government hotels. You know, and our CEO who happened to be my uncle, um, Uncle Mike. He was the CEO over all of the, um, the resort hotels in New Zealand. And so I had been to, at those hotels since I was a toddler, four years old at Wairaki and Tokano and, and the Chateau. And so as a little girl, in our holidays, we would go down and we would live like um, we were the five-star people. And in those days, the five-star were um, top hotels. Now you go on Google and the five-star hotel, you turn up and I'm thinking, this is three star. You know, it's not like it was. Um, and so we, when, when, we came, when I came into that world in my career, and I always knew when I was sit, sitting in the hotel in, in Wairaki, I always thought, I'm going to come back here one day. I'm going to come back here one day as a little girl. I thought that because everything was so exquisite. And you were selling people an experience from the um, porters at the door all the way through to, the, you know, to the, the, the food and the bedrooms. Everything was just incredibly top-notch. Outstanding. You know, uh, and, and so when we came into the church, 
we were kind of shocked because the chairs were stained and there were spelling mistakes on the overhead and the toilets were dirty and we were kind of the house of the Lord is to be exceedingly glorious and we'd read in the Old Testament how God was very particular about his temple and about the tabernacle and we saw the church looking run down and it just didn't sit well with us and so we thought as we went into Bible college we thought my goodness me when we pastor we're going to do God good God has said that you are the excellent ones in whom is my delight. And so whatever we decided we were going to do, we were going to do it with all of our power, with all of our might, and with an excellence that would bring glory to his name and fame to his name. And so that's what was inside us, and that is what is inside. We didn't put that in there. Our experiences before we got born again, God gave us those experiences, I believe, to prepare us for what we are doing right now. And so we came out of that, that place. So we'd attended Bible college. And, um, and we knew that we were called to pastor. We thought that we were going to go back to Europe. I'd started to learn um, German. I'd, I'd done two years, um, two years of the Goethe Institute in Wellington, two nights a week. Um, because I thought, well, goodness me, I'm going to have to speak. And, uh, and uh, so we thought that we were going back there. We went back to Europe. We were offered a church in Salzburg, a businessman. And then again, that's an amazing story that I won't go into, but it didn't sit right. The inner witness, Ruth was talking about uh, the other day, and she was talking about the, you know, the, um, the fleece that she'd put out, and Pastor Vanessa jumped over the hill to go see her because... Um, uh, we don't get led by outward, out, outward experiences necessarily. We can actually end up getting fleeced. We need to actually go by the inner witness. And so we went to Europe and it just didn't sit right here. There was just a, just a mm-mm, this is not right. We came back. Uh, we were in Wellington and we were praying round about, um, you know, we, we came back from Europe. I think it was in the August and we were just praying, God, where, where? And uh, we felt God say, Wellington. I told you when you were in Wanaka to come to Wellington. And when I said Wellington, I meant Wellington. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we thought somewhere else, but uh, it was Wellington. <laughs> and so we started to pray about that. But then, well, how do you start a church? Well, first of all, you need a name. Here we are, 30 years old. I had four little children. Carius was... Uh, He'd been born in the, May, in, in the May, and so he was around about three months old then. And so we had Karez, he was three months, Yadalina was two, Shekinah was uh, four, and Josh, our oldest, was six years old. And so we were praying. You know, when you're 30 years old and 31, energy, you've got lots of energy, lots of ideas, and nothing can stop you because you haven't had any bad experiences. And you've been to Bible school where they tell you the hour of power where hay churches grow from one to 10,000 in a matter of a year. And so we thought, not a problem. We can do it. <laughs> and so we started out thinking, yeah, God's told us 3,000. No, no problem at all. And so we're starting out with this big vision and, um, and, and, and declaring big things uh, that were going to happen and, and are happening, etc. And, and again, we're, we're the people of faith. So we had to find ourselves, we had to find a name. We had to open a bank account. A church has to have a bank account. And then we had to um, become a charitable trust because, you know, we, we, we are a, um, a, a church. And then we had to find a place where we were going to meet. 
and we were driving around to look for a place, and um, then we had to find people. <laughs> and, a, and a band, and music, and an overhead projector, and we, we didn't have anything. Um, and so we had to find all of these things. And so we found a beautiful little hall, what we thought it was beautiful, and the, the Moera Community Hall. And it was your typical little New Zealand community hall. You know, the, the wooden floors, the wooden walls, the dirty curtains, <laughs> filthy chairs. But it was a culture shock for us, going from five-star hotel to this. Um, but anyway, we, we started out. And, and uh, with, with, with ourselves, we had six families that, that um, started, you know, and, and again, this is funny. We hired the Moera Hall for the first week. And when we came into the city, because we were carrying this amazing message that God is good, that you're a new creation, that God is your healer, that you are on top of the mountain. This is actually a new revelation um, that was actually on in New Zealand at the time. In the 1980s, it actually came into New Zealand, as you would have heard from Pastor Ida at the Daughters Conference. This was a relatively new um, um, sort of truth that God was bringing into New Zealand. And so there was a bit of opposition to us. And so we hired the hall on the first Sunday, and we all rocked up. How many? I think there were six families. Mary Torrance on the second row. She was with us. Um, and um, who else? Where is it? The, 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 the Wearings um, were, were with us. Uh, Luke here. And Cheryl, again, still with us. So there's a few, few of us left. Um, and, uh, and then the next week, we went to hire the hall, and somebody booked it. <laughs> And it was somebody that didn't want us to be a church. And so we had nowhere to go for the second week because somebody booked the hall, hall in front, over the top of us. And it happened to be one of a, a Bible school student that was in the same Bible school as us, and he didn't want us in that area. And so he booked the hall. <laughs> hey, we're on the same team. So anyway, we got the bright idea that we are going to make a standing booking with the council. And so we did. And so we, um, you know, sometimes we would wake up and we'd go there early in the morning because they'd had a 21st party the night before. And the beer, the beer had been drunk and the beer had been moving on the floor. And so you'd get in there and your feet were sticking to the floor because of the beer. We had, we, 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 our, our, our children's church, our nursery was the kitchen. You know, the horrible green linoleum that they have in those community halls very dark and dismal. We had no heating, so we opened the oven door, turned the heaters on, turned the oven on, opened the oven door to heat the place. But you see, we were on fire. We are in the middle of revival. We were just so excited. It didn't matter. We just thought that we were just really onto it. And, um, and then, of course, when the children came in, we would close the oven door and, 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 and carry on. Sometimes... And Stephen and I, we, we need to verify this. Sometimes he'd have to go down there early and just wash the floors. And just, I thought, and then we've had an argument with this, I thought that he actually got the fire hose and actually hosed the floor out and then got those big, thick rubber things where you just shook the water out, to the, fr out the front door. <laughs> and I believe we did that, but he didn't reckon he did. And so maybe it was the cleaner that came in afterwards, but I know we did have the doors open there and the doors open there so the wind could blow the water and dry the floors before the congregation would turn up. So we had, some, we had some great times in those beginning days. We were excited. We were excited. We couldn't be stopped and nothing could hold us down. 
You know, we, 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 there's some beautiful things that happened in those times. We, were, we looked at where we were, we looked at the church that we had been in, and we thought, you know, when we got born again, there was no courses. There was no training. Things were not in place to be able to bring believers in, to build them up, to train them, and then to get them back out. And so Stephen started writing courses, New Believers Handbook he wrote, and uh, he began to write, you know, the foundation course, School of the Word One, and Ministry of Helps, getting people involved in ministry. And we tried a couple of um, evangelism courses that were around at the time and didn't have much success. Um, but we, we had it in that place. And then Roy um, Coburn uh, and, and Norma, they joined us about, f I don't know, five months later. And then Roy, who was an ex-policeman, and Stephen walked the whole of Moera and knocked on every door to share the gospel. So we were excited. Our Sunday nights uh, were an exciting time where we had the healings and deliverances. And numbers were growing. And people were coming for to, to, to get healed and to get set free and to get delivered. And it was quite an exciting time. In fact, I've got a, a, some of the old books there of the numbers that we had uh, in, those, in those evenings were quite good for those days. 120, 150, 160 people that would come at night time. And they were coming from other churches to, get the, to hear that God is good and God is a healer and God is a deliverer. And so what happened was we were having people come and casting devils out, and there was full manifestation. So we were actually in a, in a move of God at that time. But we found the same people were coming back week after week for you to go do their job for them, and you go cast their devils out. And that's where the victory program got started. I thought, my goodness me, I'm doing all the work here. You start putting the word in yourself, and don't come back until you've put the word in, and then I'll pray for you. And so, therefore, our evening meetings dropped enough. <laughs> how to influence people <laughs> and how to pull in a crowd. You know, we had, we also, this is quite amazing. We, at that time, we, we were in revival and we were just so excited. We had a beautiful old lady that came and visited our service one Sunday morning. Her name was Erna Parr, and she and her husband had been part of a church that had been meeting in the Moera Community Hall years before. I don't know whether it was the 1960s, 1970s. And I believe that her husband had a, had a, a pilot license from memory, and they would fly one of these little, two, you know, little planes down the South Island and preach the gospel. But she belonged to this church. And uh, the church had ended up splitting. And she'd seen a vision in the revival times of this church that had been an amazing revival in this little church in the Moera Community Hall. And she saw a vision in, in, in the, at that time. And she saw children on a swing. And they were swinging back and forward. And they were saying, we're saved, we're saved, we're gloriously saved. Well, then this church split and broke up. And there was not, nothing there. And then the hall was very derelict, and the council was going to pull the building down. And she, see, and she got wind of it, heard about it, and she said, God, the building can't come down because I've seen children on a swing, and I've seen them swinging, saying they're saved, saved, gloriously saved. She said, the building can't come down. Well, within months or a year, I don't know what the timing was, the, build, the, the council came in, they redid the whole building up, and it, and, it, and it is what it is today. So she came and she turned up to one of our meetings, and she was crying. 
and we you know, saw her afterwards and she says, I'm seeing something that I've seen 20, 30 years ago. That there's revival in this place. The word of God is being preached in this place. And then she shared this vision of these children on a swing, uh, swinging um, on the swings. And then she left. And I think she must have come back and forth several times during that period. And, you know, months later, the council came onto that site and they built a swing park and they built a jungle gym in that area. And we had our children playing in that place during that time. We were in revival. Not only that, we started growing and we didn't have room for a hall. We didn't have room for our children's church. It was, was expanding in number. And so we prayed and we cried out and said, God, we need more room. You know, the council came months later and they shifted a, a, a house on site where the little community hall is. If you go and drive past there, you'll see, a, you'll see a house. It's called the community house. And they opened it all up, and that's where we had little victories. And they you know, opened the lounge and the kitchen area up so that it became a, a, a sizable room for us to use for our children's church. That's revival. That is revival. And all of that time, during that time, we saw great deliverances, great stuff. You know, during that first 10 years... We had given away to missions $100,000. We'd given away. We had saved $200,000 for our building. And that was used for the deposit for this building here. In fact, it was $120,000, I believe, that we gave. And so if you looked... From, if you looked at our, our, our church from the outside in, it was very well organized. It was humming. Things were happening. You know, I mean, I'd done an um, ATI, Auckland Institute, a, a senior business course um, in, in my teens coming out of school. Um, Stefan was a head chef. Um, and so when you're running a kitchen, if you've seen my kitchen rules, uh, he was a very gracious man. He was actually good to work under. Uh, he wasn't angry. He was very well organized, and he was a man of peace in the kitchen. He'd just look at you <laughs> with these steel blue eyes, and it was enough to go. <laughs> but it was, I mean, when you're planning, when you've actually got staff over you, and you're actually planning menus, and you're buying in stock and food, and you're working with management, you need to know what you're doing to be able to run, run a kitchen when you're having hundreds of people coming in, busloads, busloads, busloads coming in, that you're bringing them in, you're building them up the food, and you're setting them in. <laughs> That was in Mount Cook, buses coming in, and just feeding them as quickly as possible, and getting the turnaround, and getting them back out in half an hour. And so, so we understood all of those principles. So anyone that was looking from the outside and thought, my gosh, this church is running, is, is it running well? But you know, we would have people come in, but as fast as they came in, they were leaving out the back door. And so we were thinking, what is going on? What's wrong? You know, we're trying to do everything we can. Uh, we knew we needed small groups. We knew that that was a part of who we are. You know, and, and, and Stephen had taught it. You've got the celebration and you've got the small group, cells, SCC. There's a celebration service, but that's not good enough. You need the cells. You've got one body, but the body's made up of cells. 
And so we had read all the material in the, in, uh, in the church on cell groups at the time, the G7 principle, all of these kinds of things to try and get, um, to try and, and, and get this truth into our church and with the flock. We sent Vivian Wearing, our, our, one of our leaders at the time, we'd sent her over to um, Singapore because Singapore was holding a big conference on cell groups. And so we asked Viv to be the, 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 the points person over that whole area and sent her over there and she came back with excited with all of this material. But you see, Kiwis aren't Singaporeans. Kiwis aren't. We're sheep. <coughs> and you can tell a Singaporean what to do and they will much. And you'll get them doing what they're told. But you ask a sheep to do that. And I was talking to George here and he was saying the little lambs. He says, you know, because he'd just come in from lunch and we were having lunch in August. And he'd just come in and they had been dagging, I think, 700 sheep in the morning, just in the morning before lunch and going to go into another 700. He says, the lambs. He said that the older sheep are okay. They're used to, being, they're used to the dogs and they, they've got the hang of being herded and going through, you know, the, going through the stock gates and all of that kind of thing. And they pretty well know what's happening. But he says, the, the lambs. He says, the dogs can come and they'll get them in a corner like this. And all of a sudden, and he says, and all of these lambs just go everywhere on the field. And you've got to bring them back again. You know, he said, it's incredible. These little things, the and, and then and, and, and scatters. And the dogs have, have got a real challenge to try and get these little guys. And isn't that, isn't that right? You know, you're bringing people in out of the world. They have not been trained or they've not come under any authorities. Generally, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. And so you try and herd them in and try and bring them in and build them up, train them and get them on a track. And, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. And so shepherds just need to go with the flock and, 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 and celebrate every move in the right direction as we're, getting, as we're getting them in. So Viv came back with this model and it didn't work. We, 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 had, we had at that time three small groups for the size church that we were, which was just, it was, you know, and again, as a shepherd, you're knowing people needing fellowship. And we knew that if people aren't in fellowship, that you can be here as a crowd of this size, and, but a crowd is not community. And you, and, and you can get lost in a crowd. And so we knew that one of the reasons why people were leaving out the back door is they get excited about the word, excited about the worship, um, and, you know, and, and, and getting involved in, in, in some ministry aspects. Not everybody did. But if they don't feel like a family, we're created for family. We're created to be long. And if people in a short space of time don't get connected in to belong somewhere, then very shortly they're going to feel, hey, nobody cares, nobody matters, and if the word is not enough to hold them there, and they'll leave. And we, we understand that. that. That's just how it is. Uh, and so we were looking at this and thinking, you see, miracles aren't going to keep people. You know, miracles and healing will bring a crowd. But as quickly as a crowd can build, a crowd can leave. A crowd is not a congregation. And so sometimes you see, you know, big movements and big things happening, you know, you know in, in, in the nation. And all of a sudden, all of the flock are moving over here and there's a crowd. But the shepherd of that, of that movement has got to take that crowd and bring them in to congregation. And how do you do that? There's, there's a way to do that. 
And God has given wisdom on how, how we are to shepherd the flock of God. And so breakthrough came for us in 2003, 2004, when um, <coughs> Rick Warren, I mean, somebody interesting, somebody from, we had a, a guest speaker come to us from Singapore, and he'd given us the Purpose Driven Church 10 years before. I think, or eight years before, was 2003, probably about 1995, he'd given us this book and we didn't read it. We were crying out, calling on God, asking for help, but we didn't, we didn't read the help that God had given us. And so it took another five to eight years before God was able to take us around again and bring this truth in to where we could actually understand and, and activate it. And so in 2003, I believe the Purpose Driven campaign with Rick Warren uh, was introduced to the pastors in New Zealand. And uh, many, many denominations jumped on board at that time. It was absolutely tremendous. It was wonderful. We had a full-page ad in the Hut News. The churches, um, you know, um, Roy Brink's church, Hut Church was there. There was, there was a, I think, I think um, a Rob, Rob Clayton from Stokes Valley. There was loads of us all together. I think uh, Barry Galloway. We all were doing this purpose-driven campaign together. So we took a whole ad out, all the churches, and said, you know, what on earth am I here for, this big ad? And then said, hey, join and find out here's some churches in your area where you can sign up. It was absolutely tremendous. And so for 40 days, we, we pulled a, a team of leaders together and we, 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 we did this um, campaign at, in 2004. And so that was breakthrough for us. That was an answer to prayer for us. And so many churches did that campaign, like I said, and we came out of that 40 days, and there was, a, um, there was a program that I got online and looked at, and it said day 41. Because during that 40 days of purpose, I thought, God, what are we doing now? We know that this is actually what we're, what we're missing. What are we going to do now? And so I found, the, found a manual that Rick had written, day 41. What do you do after? You've done the purposes. And so we, we, we purchased that. In fact, we got a hold of Saddleback and we said, we want to be a purpose-driven church. How do we do this? And so we, we, we bought the material, the administration, um, and the structure of, of how to structure a church to be purpose-driven. And we started to implement um, those things. And, and some of the structure, just briefly, is that you need, a, you need a leader over the five purposes. Someone over worship, someone over fellowship, someone over discipleship, someone over ministry, someone over evangelism. And we're going to just touch on that in just a minute um, and have a look at that. So why don't we just have a look at this? In fact, I'll read this to you here. So the Purpose Driven Campaign, it helped, it, it's not on your outline, it's me, um, it helped Stephen and I, and it helped our leaders to clarify what are we doing and why are we doing it. You see, because our worship for the time was really good. Our discipleship was outstanding. We had our courses ready from the very beginning. And Ministry of Helps was one of those courses by Buddy Bell, if any of you have done it. He's a fun guy, and we had actually had him out. And he actually, we joined with the Salvation Army here in Lower Hutt, and we did a, we did a, um, a seminar with him. And, uh, and so we had ministry, so we had ministry and evangelism. We knew that we were called to evangelize. And so, but we weren't, we weren't doing great at it, but we were trying our best. And so what this, what this campaign did was it actually helped us to identify uh, where we were at in the health of our church. And the health of our church is we were, 
you know, um, we were weak in the area of fellowship, small groups, and we were weak in the area of evangelism. We looked at our church and we thought, okay, you see, if you've got any area in your body that is not healthy, your body's going to be weak. But if all of the organs and all of the, area, all of the organs in your body are healthy, then you're going to be strong. And so as shepherds and as leaders, we thought, okay, if we're going to have health in all of these, we're going to have to start to focus ourselves. And that's what we started to do. So let's have a look here. And I just want to run through some of this for um, some of you that may not know what the Purpose Driven Church is all about. And just to share that next year, we, are, um, we, we believe in God in 2019. We're going to be running the Purpose Driven Campaign, 40 Days of Purpose. On the 3rd of March, we're going to launch out and we're going to just soak ourselves afresh in the 40 Days of Purpose. What on earth am I here for? Why am I here? I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to spend my life on things that are of no eternal value. I want to invest my life in something that's going to take me on into eternity. And as shepherds, that's what our job is, is to help you, God's flock, invest your life in something that is going to count for eternity. We're not here to waste time and waste life. And so here we go. Our mission, why do we exist? Proverbs 29 says, he says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained or the people dwell carelessly. And so if we as the shepherds don't know where we're going, well, how can the flock know? And so as leaders, and I'm talking to you as leaders because you are leaders, we need to know where we're going so that those that are under us in small groups and in our teams actually know what that sounds like and can start running with it. And so the mission of the church is based on two key scriptures that are found in Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. And it's interesting to notice that these two, in these two scriptures, there are five verbs. What are verbs? They're doing words. Remember at school? Your verbs are your doing words. So the thing, five things that God says that he wants us to do. Let's have a read them. The great commandment and the great commission. So Matthew 22 says, first of all, that you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these dwell all the law and the prophets. So everything in the Old Testament hangs on. Love God, love people. The Ten Commandments, if you have a look at the Ten Commandments, it hangs on these two. Love the Lord your God, love people. Then the next one, the Great Commission, which is in Mark 28 and also uh, Mark six, um, Matthew 28 and then Mark 16. He says, go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything that I've commanded you. And so Rick Warren, as an apostle, and whether, you, whether, you, whether we agree with his theology or not doesn't matter, because the purpose-driven model will work for any denomination. It'll work in any church, because all of us are called to these five purposes. And so God, 40 years ago, laid this on Rick's heart, and he's actually, he's actually shared this in his Purpose Driven Conference with now 500,000 pastors. I'd say that's a move of God. 500,000 pastors have attended his Purpose Driven Conference. We have not attended, but we're actually involved. And so I don't know whether our church is on the stats or not. 
So 500,000 churches on the globe have attended this conference. Isn't that amazing? I think God's trying to get something over to his church, what we're supposed to be doing and why we're here. And so out of these two scriptures, we get the five purposes. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. What's that? Worship. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is us to be in fellowship with one another. The one another's of scripture. You go through all of the New Testament and see, love one another, care for one another, pray for one another. We can't do that from a distance. We need to actually touch base with each other and be close and that family. Make disciples, teaching them. What's that? Discipleship. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. And these signs will follow them that believe there's ministry going on there and then go into all the world and preach the gospel, which is evangelism. And so we have now coined those, according to um, Pastor Rick Warren, as the five New Testament purposes. There's lots of good things we can get involved in, but whatever the church is involved in, it should, in all reality, come under one of these five purposes. And when these five purposes are in balance in a church, a church is going to grow. Okay, A church, I should say, is going to be healthy, and whatever's healthy is going to grow. Now, in saying that with the church, the same as with us personally. When we have the five purposes, and we're walking these out in our life on a daily, weekly basis, we are going to be a healthy Christian. And if we're healthy Christians, we are going to be a growing Christian. And so this, God has made it really simple. How's my worship going? Am I involved in, a, in, in fellowship with somebody else? Am I involved in a small group? Have I got involved in the courses and am I growing and being discipled? Am I involved in serving in a ministry in the house and a mission out to the world? You see, this is what's so marvelous about this whole, this whole truth on the purpose-driven is that years ago when we were in... in, in um, you know, sort of before we'd launched into this, you would hear churches say, oh, we're a worship church, and we just worship. Um, and they would specialize in worship. And then you'd have another person say, oh, we're a teaching church, and we're specializing in teaching. And then you'd have another one who's the pastor, had a gift of evangelism. Oh, we're an outreach church, and so he could pull a crowd together. But then he didn't know how to disciple them or get them in a fellowship. And so as soon as the crowd would come in, boy, the crowd leaves. We've got a really good friend, a pastor friend of ours, who is an evangelist. And boy, can he build a crowd in seconds, but he can't keep them. He can't keep them. All the years that we've known him, he can't keep the crowd. They keep moving. But you see the gifting on him, it brings them in. He's an amazing person. And so he needs this to actually have someone in his leadership that can put them in groups and then put them in discipleship, put them in ministry. You know, it's like a shepherd. You bring the sheep in and you're going to put them in that field there. These ones here, they're pretty toxic, so we're going to dip them. You know, <laughs> and these ones are going to get dagged. You know, there's all kinds. Well, listen, I mean, don't, do you think that a shepherd's going to let sheep that have got lice in them with the rest of the sheep? No. It's going to infect the rest of the flock. And so that's why you have, you know, you have divorce recovery. You have, you know, sort of all kinds of healing recovery stuff that's out in the body of Christ right now. Because people are coming in broken. But you don't put them always with the, the rest of the flock. Because it, 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 can, it can mess things up. And so you're bringing them in. 
and a shepherd's looking and you're looking and it's not, we're not being judgmental, we're not being critical, we're just looking and saying, okay, is that flock, is it a sick one? If it's not well, then you actually give it special treatment there. You ask any farmer, it makes sense to them. This is not saying judging people and going, oh, look at that person. No, you're looking at them and saying, okay, this one here, this is what they need. A doctor does the same thing. You come into his clinic, you know, he's actually wanting to diagnose to see what he can give you for the best outcome. And so this is just normal. And so, you know, we've grown up in sort of a, a school setting where, oh, you know, goodness me, you know, if, you, if you're getting corrected or things like that, oh, you're being naughty. No, it's not. Jesus said, I prune those I love. If you're not corrected by me, you're not mine. If you're not pruned, he said, why am I pruning? Why am I cleaning you? So you can bring forth more fruit. That's the whole purpose of it. It's not so that we're judging people. It's because we're fruit bearers. And this is the same with talking with George and talking with Steve and Peter, some of these top farmers. And they're looking. Okay, they're looking at the sheep that can reproduce. And they're top line sheep because they need that coming through in their flock. And then the other ones, they're getting them ready and getting them organized in that whole area. And they'll put them in that fence area there. Fence areas just to, to protect them and look after them. And so here we go. Um, the purpose driven. And so we needed a strategy as a church to have a look and see, okay, we need a strategy on each one of these purposes. What is a strategy? The strategy is the how-to. God tells you what he wants you to do, then he's going to tell you how to do it. God tells you what you need to do. Are you listening? He tells you what you need to do, and then he's going to tell you how he wants it done. You know, God did that all through the Old Testament. God said to Noah, Noah, I need you to save your family. This is how you're going to do it. You're going to build an ark. That was the strategy. Okay? Moses, you need to save Israel. Well, shall I build an ark? No, Moses. You're going to lead them with a stick. <laughs> As a shepherd. And the cloud's going to follow you, and the fire's going to follow you, and the manna's going to come down from him. No, you don't need an ark. And so he, he, he heard what he needed to do, and God gave him a strategy on how to do it. And God has told us what he wants us to do, the five purposes. He gives us a strategy to do that. And so as a, as a, as a leadership team at that time, we had a look, and, and we've done this for years, looking continually. And you see, we're watchmen. Shepherds are watchmen. You're watching. And you're watching here for the Lord, and you're watching the flock, and you're watching what's going on outside. And I'm watching, to be honest, I'm watching people coming in the church. I'm wanting to watch, and I'm, I'm looking, and they're here, I'm just, I'll just share with you. I want to see, is that a goat, or is that a sheep? And I don't want goats, because they'll kick. You know, and, and Jesus said he's going to separate the sheep and goat nations. And so, and I'm asking, when people are coming on in, I'm thinking, now, are you going to help to build? Are you a builder, or are you someone that's going to pull down and decimate? And I'm, I'm, and I'm responsible for your life. Stephen is responsible for your life. He is a sheep. We will give an account of the sheep that God has given us into our care. And, and that's what Paul was saying. You do this seriously. Peter said, you, you make sure that you're not doing it with coercion, but you're doing this. Because you're caring for my flock. He's the chief shepherd. And so to be honest with you, share my heart. We've been doing this for 30 years. I'm not going to have some clown come in here 
Some goat come in here and kick and spit and fuss and decimate the flock. There was somebody a wee while ago here, I said, look, I don't think the church is for you. This church is for you. And they left. I knew that this, that this person would be trouble. Stephen did the same thing with another person a wee while ago. They weren't here to build. They were already criticizing on the first Sunday they came in and were telling us what we needed to do. I'm thinking, you don't do that. You don't do that. That's not a sheep. Sheep don't do that. Sheep are actually beautiful animals. They're magnificent. They're wonderful. So I'm sharing my heart. Probably don't put that on the recording. Uh, but th that's how that, th th you've got to know you know in fact something that really encouraged my heart I was listening to Rick Warren the other day and he was saying look you know he said shepherds the longevity of shepherds and you've got to know that we've got your good in, in, in place we've been here for 30 years and we're not moving we're not leaving we're here we're here and we're about the father's business and, and, and yeah, other people can come and go, but we are here as his shepherds. And so if we want to put up the empty barrel, and so this is just an interesting concept from natural church development. And, you know, a church, you know, when I was just saying, are you okay? You're not getting too tired? I can stop. <laughs> Don't want to give too much feed to the flock. <laughs> but... <laughs> but um, you know, when I said that some, some churches think, oh, look, we're a worship church or we're a, a, an evangelism church or we're this church, you do not lose people where you're strong. Water doesn't leak out of a bucket where the bucket's strong. It, you lose water where, where, the, where the bucket's weak. The sheep don't get out of the field where the fences are strong. It's where the fences are broken down that the sheep escape and get onto the road. And so a shepherd's job is to go round his farm and to check the fencing. How many of you heard that? The boys are out fencing now. They're checking the fences where there is a vulnerability. And so we spent time looking to see where we were weak. Worship was great. We were high up in worship. And our discipleship, as I said, we were high up there. Um, Ministry of Helps, pretty good. People were getting involved. But it was these two areas, evangelism and, and small groups, that we actually needed to work on. And so we began to put a strategy in place to um, strengthen those areas. So you can take it down again now, thanks. So we spent years strengthening areas that we were weak and continuing to build and looking and saying, okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to convince the flock to get into groups? And uh, it was interesting, uh, when we did the 40 Days of Purpose campaign, we had three groups at that time. During the 40 Days of Purpose campaign, we got up to, and we, and we said, you know, um, in front of the church, you know, we, we're going to go for 30 groups. We're three groups now, but we're going to have 30 groups. And we had a big banner on the stage here, 30 groups, yeah. Do you know during that campaign, we got up to 26 groups? We got 26 groups going at that time. 26 groups with all the people doing it for 40 days. Now, this is the wisdom of God, I tell you. To do a campaign, here's the wisdom behind it. You can't get the sheep to sign up to a group until death does it part. They won't do it. Kiwis, they want to know an in and they want to know an out. <laughs> and if you can't give them an out, they're not going in. <laughs> That's just how it is. 
And so this is the beauty of a campaign, is that you're saying to the flock, and you're the flock, but I'm telling you, uh, that, hey, it's only for seven weeks, sign up. And so, of course, you get all the men in, because they know there's a way out. And so the boys, the men come in, and they know, sure, we just can handle it for seven weeks, and I'm just out of here. But what happens is during that seven weeks, relationships are built. Truth is shared, hearts are shared, and it's long enough for people to actually enjoy each other's company. And the idea is that, that after the campaign, the seven weeks, that, hey, people are going to stay in group. Now, the, 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 the theory is, and it's true, and, and, and Rick, sorry, Rick says this, you'll go up to this high with 30 groups or 26 groups. It'll drop down, but you will not drop down to where you were. And exactly that's what happened. We were at three when we started. We went up to 26 groups. It dropped down to 15 afterwards. And we stayed at 15 groups for years, which was far better than three. And so the philosophy for the purpose-driven church is that Rick Warren has for the... And I don't mean to preach him as Rick Warren. I'm not preaching like that, but I'm just sharing. And, and please don't run away and think, oh, you know, that he's the hero. Well, he is actually a hero. Gosh, if I can actually influence 500,000 churches, I think I'd be a hero too for God. So he has built his church on this principle that every year he does a campaign and he brings the people in and, and there's, a, there's a short stint of growth and people will fall back, but that's okay. You fall back to where here. You never fall back to where you were before the campaign. And so I'm encouraging you next year, just do a short stint. And even getting involved in a small group, getting involved in a, in a, in a, a team. Just tell one of the leads, look, can I just have a go for six weeks? And give yourself grace to just get up and do a spiritual, you know, a spiritual impetus and then let yourself fall back. God does do stretch and release times. He stretches you, then he'll release you. That's exactly what the weeks are. The weeks are six days work, release. What are the seasons? The seasons are spring, summer, hard on, and then there's an autumn and a winter. And, and so this is a cycle. It's a cyclical pattern that God uses with us, with his whole creation, to stretch you, you grow, and then you're released again and have a rest. And so we've got two, and I'll just quickly finishing, let's have a look, we've got a couple of things, yeah, I'll just finish with this here. Creating balance over the page with your, um, creating balance between the five New Testament purposes. So, so we've looked at using uh, the targets of five people groups that we're looking at and targeting each one of those groups. And so who's the community? The community is everyone that's in driving distance to victory. And so what we're doing is we're bringing in, we're shifting the flock of God into different fields until they become core and they become producers. And so you're taking people from the community that don't know Christ and, and we have to have a strategy. And next year, I'm going to be talking about how we're going to have a strategy to reach the community and bring them into crowd events. And so you've got the community, you bring them into the crowd. From the crowd, they come to congregation. From congregation, committed. From committed to the core. And you keep shifting people. And how do you shift people? By small commitments. And so as people are shifting out in from the community and they turn up to a toddler hop program, they turn up to a cap Monday muffins, we're celebrating. They're not saved yet. But we don't care. We've shifted people. We've shifted the flock from out in the community into something that we've put on, a Victory Girls breakfast or supper that they love, or the giveaway clothing. 
or your small group of 40 days of prayer when there were some unsaved, unchurched people that signed up to our groups. And so we, what the idea is we celebrate every time people make a step and a commitment towards Christ. You see, life is not a one-time commitment. The Christian life is not one-time commitment and it's done. No, it's a series of, and a journey of commitments that you make to Christ-likeness. And so what we are doing as leaders is we are providing an, a, an environment and a structure and a strategy to shift the flock. And so the flock come from community into crowd. At some time, we're going to have crowd events. And next year, I tell you, church, you are going to come up with ideas to have food, fun, and fellowship that will eventually lead to faith and forgiveness. Kiwis love food, they love fun, and they love to hang out with friends. That is the language of this nation, and we need to put the bait out so the fish can bite and take it. That's how it has to be. We are strategic. And what we're doing. You can't all of a sudden go hardcore. Goodness me, we had some friends that came over from the States. And uh, they were hardcore. We, we were up in Taupo. And they, they were talking to three Kiwi fishermen. And they were saying, are you saved? Has Jesus forgiven your sins? And I'm going, oh God. And the guys are going, What? You can't talk to a Kiwi like that. That's the wrong bait. Yes. And we went away from there, and they said, my, New Zealand's really hard. So's Australia. I thought, well, you've got, if you're teaching the Aussies like that, we're more polite than the, than, than, than the, than the Australians. They tell you to take a walk. <laughs> and so we are going to be, and I'm going to talk about this, we are going to be strategic fishermen. Know when the fish are biting. They're not always biting. They're not always hungry. But we need to study them and watch. A craftsman and a fisherman, he knows when they're biting. And there's certain times when the tides are changing. And you can fish all you like in a certain time, and they're not biting. And you're not going to catch anything. And so we're going to know, and we're going to learn and be strategic in how we are going to reach out and catch fish for God. And I'm talking about when there's no move and divine move of God on the earth or in our nation, which we're right now not in a time where cities are, are falling down on their knees and coming to Christ. We're right now needing incredible, incredibly God wisdom type strategies to reach people for God. And so we're bringing them into crowd. At some point in the crowd, they will come into the congregation. Uh, what qualifies a person in the congregation? A person who has done the, the, the membership class introducing victory, and they have committed to become a member. So the community commit to come to a crowd event. When they're in the crowd, they will commit to come to church, get born again, and commit their life to Christ, and then commit themselves to, to, to a church, to our church or our church. Once they become committed, then we actually start to have our strategy for them is to have courses. So they go through the courses. So a person that's in the... I'll get this. Oh, here we go. A person who is in the... Uh, I'll put, put, can you see these up here? If I put this there. There is the community. Oh, it's not up. Okay, so we've got the community here. We, we've actually just got a database, and we're going to just start to use this majorly. So community's got no one in it right now. We're going to have 70,000 people here. They're all in driving distance to victory. We've got crowd. Okay, oh cool, so crowd. These stats aren't correct. We're just playing with them right now. 
And then from the crowd, we've got the toddler hop people. We've got the icons, guys, you know, that are, that are not members. Um, we've got CAP, and so that, that crowd, that, that'll be a bigger number. Then we move them into congregation. Congregation, as I said, they're born again and they've committed to, to, to a church membership. From there, they move into the next field, and the next field is doing all of the, all of the courses, the foundation courses, School of the Word 1, School of the Word 2, School of the Word 3, School of the Word 4, and they're in a group. Those are the committed. They're committed to spiritual habits for growth. I want to grow. And once they've done that, and they've got, gone that, they would only move into core when people are committed to celebration, they've done all the courses, they're committed to a group. Oh, yeah, there is, there is more. I'm, I'm a core. Dice core. There's loads of us. So as you can see, we need to populate the stats here. And so our, our role as shepherds and your role as leaders in the, in the church <clears throat> and small group leaders is to look at your flock and encourage doable and achievable commitments. So when the courses are coming up, come on, have you done this yet? That course isn't going to hurt them, it's going to feed them. And it's going to grow them. Praise the Lord. And so we, 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 we have worked as a, as a leadership team and as shepherds on how we can streamline this. And why have we done this? Well, because we believe that the harvest is coming. And she is coming. And are we ready? And, and, and the Lord said to Stephen, and I'll just close in just two minutes. Um, the Lord said to Stephen 20, 20, 28 years ago, Stephen, if I added 50 or 100 people to your church, are you ready? And he said, no, I haven't got anything in place. And so he started writing courses, started getting ready. And so like King David says, the house of the Lord's to be exceedingly glorious, famous in all, in, in all the land. I will now make preparation. And so for the last 30 years, we have been making preparation for the promised harvest. And so we're about ready. The building's down. The timing's right. We've got great young people. I mean, even Josh coming on board and doing all of the stuff that's actually happening in the IT area is actually prophetic. It is very prophetic. We're about ready for the most powerful move that our church has ever seen, and I believe what our nation has ever seen. And we're not going to lose the fish. The nets are not going to break. We have got a strategy, a structure, and everything that's in place. And so you've got on your outline... If you're not in a group, and I'd like you to just spend some time, you know, in, in your small groups, having a look at, right now, where would you be on those, in those groups? You know, are you in the community? Are you in the crowd? Are you in the committed? Are you in the core? Ask yourself, you and God together, where am I sitting? And you've got the definitions there. And, and God's asking, come on, you can commit to the next, the next level. And why don't you discuss that in your small groups? And if you're not in a small group, go jump online and sign up. And... Um, because what, it is, what it's about, it's not wasting our life, church. We're not here to waste our life. We're not here to spend it on things that are not going to count for eternity. We're here to invest it in the kingdom. We're about our Father's business. And on that day when he arrives, he's going to say, Wait, well done, you good and faithful servant.